from the flight deck. This is the Plane Jockeys Podcast, where we dig into some of the stories and personalities you've seen on airline videos live. Our estimated time en route is, well, however long these guys want to chat. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the show. It's a lot more fun than reading the safety card. I promise. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Airline Videos Live Plane, the Jockeys Podcast. I am Plane Jockey Kevin. Oh, guess who's back with me once again, Plane Jockey Rudy. Hello, everybody. So good to be back. I am so happy to be here for the podcast once again. Welcome back. And we are once again broadcasting today from outside the In-N-Out Burger, outside of Los Angeles International Airport with the planes flying right over our heads. That's what we like to see and hear here, of course. Well, that's not all. Joining us today is our friend Captain JC. 747 pilot with Atlas Air. Welcome. Welcome. Well, thanks for uh, having me. Beautiful day here in Los Angeles. Captain, thank you so much. Now, maybe there's some people that have not seen you on our shows. Can you explain to us and those viewers who sure. is Captain JC? Okay. Uh, well, I'm a captain at Atlas Air, Air with on the 747. Yeah. Uh, fly the 747-400, Dash 8, and the uh, LCF as Ooh. well. Dream, dream lifter. Um, been with Atlas uh, going on 21 years now. Wow. Wow. And captain over there for uh, probably last eight years. Wow. Or, uh, yes. And, and uh, of course, you started an emoji on our show. See, yeah, That's what I heard. <laughs> well, let's start with that story. <laughs> yes. So um, we, sure. we first met you on our Sunday show. Can you explain to us exactly what happened that day? Sure. I think I was in uh, May, late May, and I was uh, sitting on the aircraft uh, we were taking a delay going to uh, Korea that day, mm. Incheon, and I got a uh, text message from one of our other captains, mm. and uh, this fella, uh, other captain, we flew Learjets together back uh-huh. in the uh, 80s and the 90s, okay. and I guess he was a big fan of your oh. uh, channel. Nice. So uh, he <laughs> noticed you were painting the camera onto our airplane uh-huh. and mentioned that we were should be pushing back anytime soon, but we were actually delayed an hour. And <laughs> so I guess he sent him a message that we would uh, open the crew door and give you a, give you a wave, you know, nice. let you know that we're uh, pilots are watching your uh, channel as well as uh, you know, aviation, which uh, is amazing, by the way. <laughs> It's always amazing when when pilots are in the chat and they're mm-hmm. saying we're watching you guys. We're like, yes. oh wow, <laughs> yeah. And then so uh, so yeah, we gave you know, we opened the crew service door and gave a wave to you, and then uh, and then obviously uh, when we departed. Uh, 45 minutes later, whatever it was, <laughs> I had to give you a shout out. Yeah, the which famous was, words. Yeah. Can you do that for us again? Uh, 84, 94, heavy over departure. See you, Kevin. There you go. We wow. were amazed. I was amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, did you guys hear that? That was a first. Well, everybody on the flight deck, there was four of us, you know, they all started laughing. <laughs> and then somebody said, oh, we're in trouble. Oh, <laughs> boy. boy. But I think you've started a trend yes. on our channel because now we you know, like to have other pilots do the same. Well, yeah, I found out uh, when I was on Southwest, I showed your video and, uh-huh. and uh, there was a fellow that he's, oh, yeah, I, I know. I, I've seen, I watched Kevin, I, wow. I've seen his video, does great work. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I notice uh, when I show some of your videos. Uh, he was like, wow, they, yeah, the camera work, you know, it's really great camera work. And is this guy like work for Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the day, yeah. yes. Well, enough about me. Back to uh, you. So tell us, <laughs> Captain, uh, your flying career. Tell us about okay. how this all began. Well, when uh, I was probably was six years old playing on the playgrounds back in central Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and always seeing planes flying overhead. I always just like any kid, you know, you're fascinated with planes and I was like, someday I'm going to be a pilot. You know? Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, sure, yeah. kid, you know. Early on, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I used to collect all the airline schedules and I had a, a teacher in, I think it was in fifth grade, it was a aviation uh, enthusiast and he used to collect all the airline schedules and had models and, and, uh, but I always had an interest in flying, so I just knew when I got out of high school, then I would just pursue a career, you know, just start learning to fly. And that's yeah. what I did. I got my private pilot license and then uh, my commercial flight instructor and, and then uh, just started. You know, the problem with flying, you got to build up your flight hours right. in order to get a job. So mm-hmm. uh, once I got the commercial flight instructor 
rating, then I uh, was able to build up a few thousand hours, and then. Uh, but you didn't start flying seven four sevens off the start, no. No, uh, actually, when I was ten years old, there back in fifth grade, uh, when the seven four came out on the line, uh-huh. um, I would go to the library and sign out the this pictorial book about yeah. the building of the seven four seven. Wow! And, <laughs> and uh, I would just sign it out for two weeks, and then turn it back, wait a day, and then go back and sign it out. So I had the book the whole year. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so cool. Yeah. <laughs> And I just always was fascinated by the 747. At the time, it was the largest aircraft yeah. you know, in the world. And uh, so when the opportunity came, uh, was it 30 years later? I had somebody on my jump seat when I was flying Learjets. Uh-huh. And I uh, flew for Evergreen. And he said they were looking for uh, 74 pilots, and they liked Learjet guys for some reason. Oh. So, uh, yeah, so I went over to Evergreen, and uh, my dream came true. It was almost... Uh, <laughs> wow. 30 years to the day, I guess. So, know. wait, wait, wait. Back up for one second. Why would a Learjet pilot make a good 747 pilot? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. After we did the training, my partner was a Lear guy as well. And uh, he goes, the instructor said, well, I'm going to fill you guys in on a little secret. And he goes, uh, the reason why we hired you guys is we found that the guys that had the Lear time, they uh-huh. do really well in the sim. And I said, well, we're used to things happening. Uh, we're at 250 knots at the end of the runway, not five minutes after departure. Right. <laughs> and we start our level offs. Usually if you're going to 5,000 feet, we start our level offs, you know, usually at 2,000 feet. So you're always thinking ahead of the airplane. And when then we got on the 7.4, it was just like, Oh, I'll have some coffee while I'm climbing out. You know, it's like <laughs> Are you telling me the 747 is an easy aircraft to fly? Yeah, it's it's pretty simple airplane to fly. And jet to jet, I mean, it's the numbers are kind of the same in the Lear as well. Like when you're on final, you're, you're still flying the same power settings and same pitch settings too. On takeoff, we go to 10-degree pitch. And, you know, after climbing, uh, uh, climbing out the 250 knots, it's mm-hmm. usually right real close, about 10 degrees pitch. Gives you 250 knots in any jet. And... Uh, but it's well, the one thing that's different, obviously, is uh, the size and uh, right. the how high you sit off the ground. And and I'll never forget the instructor said, "Don't be intimidated by the size." And he says, "It's an easy airplane to land." And we have a radio altimeter that tells us how high we are above uh-huh. the ground. And it's very simple. It's just you hear the 50, 40, 30, 20, and right then you start thinking about flaring. And when you hear the ten, you just keep on flaring, and usually just grease it right on. Can you remember your very first time flying the 747? What was that experience like? Oh, yeah. I can uh, remember it was uh, going into Boise, Idaho. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was that, that first day walking out, just like the instructor said, you know, you walk out to the airplane and, you know, the tire's as tall as you, you know. It's, wow. And, you know, coming from a Learjet, you know, it's like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, then, but it was, it was an easy airplane to fly. And, uh, and I remember that first landing, it was like, Greased it right on, man. We couldn't even feel feel ourselves touching down. It's like, wow, this is this is nice. Yeah. Well, were you nervous at all? I mean, were you shaking? Like, this is a much bigger airplane, and here no, I am. <laughs> not really, because you know the training. You just reflect back on the training, uh, and uh, the training was very good, and uh, had a really good instructor. He, matter of fact, when we started doing our training for the landing, he said, "Let me show you. Let's do it on the autopilot first, and show you what the airplane does." And then we're going to mimic that, you know, when we fly. But uh, if you come from flying jets already, the only difference was just that last, you know, 100 feet oh, you know, okay. land in the airplane. And uh, but and then again, once you're on the ground, too, you know, you got 264,000 pounds of fuel on board. You know, you can't be going around corners like you're in a, uh, you know, right. in a little Learjet. Right, right. <laughs> a lot of sloshing going on. But uh, <laughs> that was the only difference as far as... Uh, transitioning from the Learjet to the, you know, to the big airplane is just uh, learning how to taxi the airplane around and on the ground. But, and then likewise in the air, it takes a while to acceleration. It's a lot of mass to slow down as well. Right. So you got to be thinking ahead of that kind of stuff as well. Now that was with Evergreen. That was the first 747. Was that a three? Classic. A classic. Yeah, it was the, well, the 100s and the 200s. Wow. Yeah, that's what we had over there. They referred to them as the classics. Okay. Steam gauges, I guess some people wow. refer wow. to them. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? I mean, compared to, obviously, you're flying the 400s and the 8s now. I mean, you're talking about the classics. I mean, what's the biggest difference between those two, three, four? Well, we had an engineer <laughs> on the airplane yeah. to run all the systems. Right. right. So then when they came out with a 400, that panel went away. So we didn't need that third pilot back there running all the hydraulics and distribute the fuel systems. Uh-huh. And through the uh, automated system, you know, the fuel took care of itself. Right. And, uh, 
But um, there's a little panel up on the dash. It's probably like four inches by four inches, uh-huh. and that replaced that whole big panel in the wow. back of the uh, <laughs> on the old classic airplanes. I mean, yeah. I mean, do they, they? I mean, do you notice how they fly differently? Is there? Uh, do they feel the same? I mean, it's still flow the same. Yeah, yeah it still had the same characteristics. Okay. Yeah, just some minor changes in the, the, the uh, in the flares when you're touching down, just like on the dash eight. They have that a flare assist on the on the aircraft, oh. but uh, but it, overall it was it was a very easy transition. So yeah. is that why she's called the queen of the skies? Just, I mean, she's just the queen. I mean, it, she she just sounds very easy to just fly. Well, yeah, I guess I don't know if that came uh, by Pan Am. They were, the, I believe, the first uh, uh-huh. oh. carrier, I believe, to order the uh, seven four. I think they were the launch customer, right? And uh, I don't know where that name was adapted, but. Uh, at the time, you know, it was the largest aircraft in the sky. So I think that's how they came up with it. But, but in your mind, I mean, she definitely is the queen, no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> e- easy plane to fly. And uh, I, um, yeah, it's just a really nice, nice airplane. So obviously, you fly with Atlas Air. That's a cargo mm-hmm. freight company. I mean, did you ever right. want to become a commercial passenger? 747 pilot was that ever a thought in your mind <laughs> well i get i get to ask that uh, a lot actually um and what's funny is uh people tell me oh someday you want to be a commercial pilot <laughs> it's like <laughs> okay there's always a misconception that uh once you get your commercial pilot license that's good to work either cargo airline or right. passengers right and uh so i i did fly passengers back before i started flying cargo but um yeah, there's a lot of misconception in the public thinking like a cargo and passenger flying is like a totally different uh, certificate. But mm-hmm. uh, all the air carriers, their license are to carry passengers and cargo. And I don't know if you're aware, but well, yeah, Atlas, we do passenger service, yeah. uh, VIP passenger service as well, uh, some for the military. Yeah, have you uh, and, and yeah. sports charters, right? Sports charters, of, right? Football teams. Have you ever oh. flown those? Those are ex yes. United 747s, correct? I think a couple of them are. Uh, we got a couple United old airplanes on the okay. property, and uh, but I think we have like five or six right now. Okay. And uh, but yeah, I, I don't mind doing those passenger flights. Uh, if I see on a bid line package show up, uh, I'll look at the. I basically look at the schedule to see if it's other flying in there that I enjoy doing. Right. But um, I don't particularly just look to go do a passenger flight but uh, they're they're nice trips when uh, when you do the uh, football charters and i i like doing the nfl teams because uh they don't usually have any any issues with the you know with the passengers (laughs) so i would imagine this day and age you know a 747 pilot like yourself i mean obviously the jobs are more with the cargo carriers than obviously the passenger carriers yeah, I think so. Uh, I know that um, we're doing a lot of hiring, and uh, as well as like FedEx and UPS. Mm-hmm. And I remember back in the '90s, you know, the airline industry is always up and down, very cyclic. And uh, when passenger airlines were laying off, I noticed the cargo airlines were still flying or yes. even hiring. Yes. And I always kept that in the back of my mind. Uh, I don't know if I ever want to leave this, you know, because uh, that might be that day where. I wish I still had my job. Right. So, um, I, and I enjoy you know flying the you know the cargo side. It's uh, it's, it's more. Uh, it's a funny story. Um, when the airlines were laying people off, they would come over to our airline to you know fill in that gap before they get their job back. And there's a few guys I flew with that said, "I'm not going back." <laughs> there was one guy I got. I, got, I think it was at U.S. Air to get furloughed, and uh, he said, "Man, this is great. I like this kind of flying." And, and places we go to, and just it's a relaxed atmosphere. And, right. And we our layovers sometimes are like two, three days sometimes, and like Hawaii, and or you don't get too much of that on the passenger right. side, you know, right. United and Delta. Well, I was just curious mm-hmm. to ask um, for mm-hmm. you as a pilot for Atlas Air, what yeah. is your schedule like? I mean, is it pretty consistent? Does it fluctuate? Do you get to pick where you get to fly? What your flying looks, or, you know, what days do you sure. get to fly? What What does that look like? Yeah, we uh, when the bid package comes out, uh, typically um, the lines are set up to where you're going to be out flying anywhere from 12 to maybe 17 days a month. Oh, okay. And of those 12, 17 days a month, you might have layovers at your base um, or layovers elsewhere, obviously. But um, so even though you're out those 12 to 17 days, in, it might be 17 days in a row as well. But oh. sometimes they're split up. They'll do maybe five days. 
here, then two week break, and then you go do a twelve day trip. And I'm actually starting a twelve day trip today. Oh wow! <laughs> but I have 114 hour layovers on the West Coast. Okay. So guess what JC's going to do? <laughs> I'm just going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So no place like home, right? <laughs> right. And I, I that's that's my priority is to. Um, plane is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was not a plane. <laughs> Three motorcycles heading on down Lincoln Boulevard. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what I try to do, the first thing uh, when a bid package comes out, I look at L.A. layovers. We do have an A330 about to depart. <laughs> yes. Speaking of Hawaii, Hawaiian oh, yeah. A330. I should be on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you have any certain um, places that you like to end up? You know, on you know, you were talking about Hawaii. You were just recently in South uh, America. Oh, Santiago. And, and you're yes. just everywhere. Yeah, they. I haven't been down in South America though for over ten years. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's been a while. Um, that's usually Miami base crews that are always gotcha. flying the South American okay. trips. But I did notice uh, they're starting to show up on the LA flying. Okay. But um, as far as uh, places I like to lay over, yes, yeah, uh, Hawaii. Everybody likes Hawaii. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, especially those three-day layovers in Hawaii. Those are nice because usually it ends up you go down to Sydney and then you have three, four days down in Sydney. Oh, okay. And we're on the beach in Sydney as well. And then back up through Bangkok or, or uh, Shanghai and then back around to Alaska and then back to LAX. So the route you're talking about is mm-hmm. the Atlas Air Qantas right. Freight 747 right. route, yes. right? <laughs> Which we see a lot. (laughs) Well, we see that a lot on our live shows. I'm always, you know, people are kind of confused. They're like, because if you look at Flight Radar, it shows up as a Qantas has the Qantas Qantas logo. It's a 747. Everyone gets excited. They're like, oh my gosh, Qantas 747. And then they they look and they see Atlas Air. But right below the cockpit, there's a little, you know, sticker that says operating for a Qantas freight. Can you explain to us what that is? Yeah, we we've had that contract. I think we've had that at least 20 years. And what's funny is when I was at Evergreen, we were flying that same contract. Oh, wow. And same flight numbers, 754 or 7554, 7552, I think. Uh-huh. So, uh, but I believe they all originated in New York or Chicago, five flights a week. Okay. I don't know how many Atlas is doing now, but um, they typically, yeah, I guess Qantas, they, uh, they don't want to use their own airplanes. And um, hmm. it's been going on over 20-some years now, not just with because uh, Evergreen had it when I was there. Then when I was at Polar, we had it. And that's all I did for nine months, just on those Honolulu's. And they call them South Packs. Okay. And, uh, and then now here it is, you know, Atlas has the uh, contract now. So there's so. one from Chicago and one from Dallas, it seems like. So basically okay. it comes from Chicago, L.A., Honolulu, and then to Sydney. Is that pretty much yeah, the, and the I route? Think, I think one of them stops in New Zealand, I believe. Okay. Uh, Auckland. Oh, okay. I think so. And, uh, yeah, then, uh, yep. And then they all end up in Australia. Then they, uh, from there, they got freight, or sometimes they're empty going up to, um, you know, Shanghai or uh, Bangkok. Is there any challenges you guys face as cargo pilots on a 747 that maybe, you know, a passenger 747 wouldn't face? Is there plus, minuses? What's the big difference? Well, uh, there's a couple things. Uh, one, particularly just to do with Atlas, um, you know, we're an ACMI. Uh, in the ACMI business, which is uh, aircraft, uh, we provide air crew maintenance and insurance okay. for the operator, uh, for the customer. So um, we do a lot of trips to places that United and Delta, you know, they don't go there. Right. Um, I did one, Armenia, uh, it was a charter for a mining company, and uh, went to Armenia, and then we stopped there. Airport's not in the database, so you got to build the approaches. So you always got to be on your wow. toes. And I mean, the company gives you obviously there's uh, directions in our manuals for mm-hmm. how to handle those situations, but mm-hmm. um, it's a little bit you know challenging because uh, the airport's not in the database, and the airport I was going to in Kazakhstan wasn't in the database. Mm-hmm. And then on those particular flights, we have a crew uh, mechanic on board and mm-hmm. a loadmaster as well. Oh, okay. But we don't have that support on the ground that you would normally have, like it. You know, going to these uh, yeah. like LA and right. Anchorage, so uh, that's in that regard, it's a little um, challenging. Um, another thing, but this more has to do with seven four seven. Yeah, the the weight range is quite a difference than like in a seven thirty seven. Yeah. So um, with that, we can be like a half a million pounds of or a million pounds up to almost a million pounds. There's a half a million pound difference there. So wow. you got to make sure your performance numbers are right on. Right. Yes. There's no, uh, <laughs> and I had that actually happen one time where the, uh, they gave me a wrong uh, load sheet. 
Oh. And he was off 160-some thousand pounds of wow. freight. So that changed our uh, performance quite a bit. You know, instead of using flaps 10 takeoff, we were now using flaps 20 with higher, more higher power setting. But on that one, we would have went off uh, the end of the runway, not, you know, not flying. But you obviously caught that before takeoff, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I kid the guys. I, I kind of use it, you know, as captains. We're, we're not instructors. I mean, we do have line check pilots out there, but... Uh, as captains, we're, we're told to, to mentor the, some of the newer guys and mm-hmm. things that are, they don't want us to be instructors, but just tips, things that happened to you over the years and, and you can pass on. And I always pass that on to guys. Uh, I said, yeah, here's one that uh, for the books, it's really good. We, we got a load sheet and uh, the FO entered that information into the box thinking he was entering the correct information. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on the flight deck when, it would happen. when I came back up to the flight deck. I noticed uh, one of our uh, one of our little checks is uh, we set the speed up on the panel for what our uh, it's called the V two speed. So right. if we do lose an engine, we're going to fly that speed. Mm. Well, that's all based on weight. And I noticed my FO that changed that from what I had selected in there earlier, like yeah. a half hour ago. Uh-huh. And I based that weight that speed on what the flight plan that we get three hours before the departure. The flight plan tells you shows you what what your estimated weight's going to be for that flight that right. day. So I put those numbers in based on what the company thinks but here this guy gave us a load sheet that he he miscalculated over 162,000 pounds and uh wow but the load, the fo he did everything correct he entered what he was given he right. was you know and uh, but i what i getting back to uh, the challenge I'll, I'll ask guys i'll say hey do you remember before you enter that weight for the performance mm-hmm. the airplane weighs itself and it has a little number there that shows what it thinks it weighs based on the weight on the wheels. Oh, interesting. So uh, if that system's working properly, it's always within 5,000 okay. pounds. I say, hey, do you remember what that small font was before you made it a big font? Uh-huh. And he says, oh, no, I don't. You know? Uh-oh. And uh, so when we deleted it, we could see that it was, uh, you know, it was off over 82,000 kilos, which is like 160, 70,000 pounds. So we would have been on that air crash investigations. You know, they'd been yeah. like, uh, what Investigators couldn't figure out why a 747 couldn't wow. take off with only 20,000 pounds on board. <laughs> so, I mean, we talked to, to Stig Aviation. He was talking about in the aviation industry, redundancy, okay. redundancy, oh. redundancy. I would yes. assume that, like, that it kind of falls with that. You yeah, know, we just, have, uh, you know, we have our procedures and, and for a reason. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a lot of redundancies built into, uh, and that's part of our procedure. It says if the weight is uh, heavier than we need to go back and look and see what the adjustments are. Right. And what's funny, it was just one sentence that says, if, if the weight on the load sheet doesn't match what the flight plan is, mm-hmm. it, it would address it more if it was heavier, but it didn't really address it if it was lighter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that day, it was lighter. And, but it does say, at the final step, it says compare the actual load sheet with what the flight plan uh, load is supposed to be. Interesting. Yeah, it's a one little one sentence there. It just says compare them. If it, if it's different, uh, then uh, you know start you know checking to see what the problem is. So, do you difference. when you're in the cockpit and you're flying around the world? Do you just sit here and think to yourself, "Here I am, a captain of a 747, flying all around the world, and we've got we've got a Dreamliner oh. about to fly oh, over yeah. our heads, Captain? What do you think? Yeah, Jow, right? Jow Airlines. Yes, Japan Airlines Dreamliner. Um, do, you, do you think yourself like I'm so lucky? Here I am, a 747 pilot flying all around the world. <laughs> is it is it a dream come true? Well, yeah, I think I'm I'm very fortunate to uh, yeah, my dream did come true. I, you know, ever since I was a little kid, you know, I was one to fly the 74, and uh, yeah, once in a while I think this this isn't a bad gig. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, not, yeah, it's not bad at all. <laughs> you know? and I always tell guys, you know, when when. Uh, you know, they're trying to figure out who wants to fly. And, uh, and I said, well, guys, I'm only here for the food. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, I'm wondering, um, Captain JC, is there maybe a flight that is very memorable to you? Maybe mm-hmm. a certain scenery or just something during the flight? It just it sits in your memory. Boy, there's so many of them. i uh, seen so many sunsets. Oh, <laughs> wow. And, you know, flying over, uh, going around the world, you know, just seeing different scenery and mountains going into... Afghanistan. Wow, yes. Um, yeah, it's, but usually when you get on the ground too, you know, that, that part as well, you know, just being able to see somewhere new. Uh, I mean, I've been pretty much everywhere that Atlas flies to now, so it's. Uh, <laughs> Does it all start just looking the same? Well, it's, 
people ask me like do you get tired of going to the same places and yeah. uh well you know no i still have uh i look forward to going to my favorite restaurant there in tokyo or you know hong kong and yeah. <laughs> you know and see my old friends there that, you know work in in those places you know they own the restaurants and, and making small talk with them and yeah, I still uh, still enjoy it. You know, it's been 20 years. And now going back to my earlier question about scheduling, if there was a place mm. such as Tokyo that you just really like to go to, could you request for a long or longer layover? Well, that'd be kind of hard to do unless you're on reserve. You can okay. you can tell them uh, you know you prefer to fly because uh, there's this one other captain I would always see him in Tokyo at the uh, karaoke bar while uh, the airline crews hang out I go man you're yeah. always here and, uh-uh. and uh, he goes well I scheduling works with me I just tell him I make myself available like on days off and and uh, and they try to fill in you know try to yeah. give me my Tokyo trips and man oh, he does cool. a really good Louis Armstrong uh, it's a wonderful world eh? <laughs> Nice. Yeah, if you weren't looking at him, you'd think it was Louis himself oh, singing boy. it. <laughs> Wait, is that, is that the, the bar that you told me about that they all knew about Airline Videos Live? You oh. walked in and they thought you were an instant celeb, right? Oh, that's the uh, jet lag is uh, down the street, though. Yeah, okay. that's, a, uh, that's a big airline hangout. Oh. But yeah. you walked in one day and they said, oh, there's Mr. Captain there from Airline Videos <laughs> yes. Live. Oh, yeah, that was in, uh, well, that was in Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah, that was in Hong Kong. Wow. Uh, where uh, well, we I showed the video and uh, and somebody already seen it. I guess I don't know. <laughs> one of the other pilots uh, once you, you get their um, Facebook uh, followings, I guess, and somebody had published put it up there on Facebook. You know, in the uh, circles with the company in Hong Kong. Wow, yeah, you guys are famous. <laughs> <laughs> Is that one of your fa- favorite places to go? Hong Kong. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. But we, with COVID, we haven't uh, had done layovers oh, right. there for uh, a couple of years now. But right. I, we are laying over there. But it's not a layover. It's at the hotel. You're locked in your room, right? And right. at the airport. And uh, I heard a rumor like if you open your door, then uh, you go to quarantine. Oh, well, you know, I something just popped up in my Facebook feed today. Okay. Of course, we've got a triple seven on the Pond Airways. 7300 ER. Flight 6 coming in from Tokyo Narita. Well, this thing <laughs> popped up on my Facebook feed today. It said, if you want to see a 747 this year, top place is Hong Kong. Ooh. Yeah, Hong Kong and uh, Anchorage. Yeah. Anchorage, too. That's not as far to go. <laughs> but LAX yeah. was so low on the list, I was shocked by that. Actually, oh, in the, really? if you want to see a 747 in the U.S., they said... Uh, Alaska, Anchorage, and LAX. Those are the two top places. But in the world, I mean, Hong Kong was top on the list, and LA was, like, tiny. Well, it's funny. My buddy flies at NetJets. He flies G5, G6. And uh, he had a trip over there to Hong Kong, and he was calling me for intelligence on, you know, where to go and hang out. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And... uh, He's, but um, when he got there, he was like, oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe all the seven fours I see there, all the heavy iron. <laughs> it's wow. incredible. That's like, welcome to the heavy iron world. <laughs> you know, speaking of 747s, I'm always curious when we're filming our Sunday live show, mm-hmm. you know, I wish we could be able to see inside of these 747s. You know, what what is typical cargo or is there typical cargo that you know of on on your plane that you're flying you know what kinds of stuff are you guys carrying? Well, they gave us a load manifest, and but a lot of it's uh, covered up, and I can't see. Okay. But uh, when there's hazmat material on board, mm-hmm. or there's like fruits or vegetables, then uh, then we're given a uh, sheet for temperature control. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that, I really don't know what's down there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, Good if, to know. <laughs> if it's uh, like electronics with batteries, right. then that's how I know. Like if it's hazardous material, okay, and, and or like there's a car down there downstairs, Ooh, or they'll, okay. I'll get paperwork on that. But if it's just you know clothing coming out of Hong Kong, right. or you know I don't know what who you know somebody says, oh this is all for Victoria's Secrets, you know, right? Yeah, uh, but um, other than that, it's all covered in and in, in uh, black tarps. And uh, I did this charter it was before Christmas a few years back, and and I was like, well what's all this stuff, you know? And he goes, oh, believe it or not, these are all Xbox 360s, but they're oh, no. disguised Ooh. because they of theft yeah. right? when they right. get into the um, warehouses. Interesting. So, is, but uh, I said, oh, okay, there were 250,000 pounds of Xbox 360s. Wow. Captain, this has been absolutely amazing. I can't wait to ask you more questions. Oh, so much more. Coming up next on the Airline Videos Live 
Lane Jockey's podcast. Don't go anywhere. More to come next. Folks, again from the flight deck. We hope you're enjoying those luxurious seats and plentiful complimentary beverages. All right, this is a it's a podcast. Well, then we hope you're enjoying the banter. Stay tuned for more. Oh yes, there's always more to the story. Yes, always more. Isn't that correct, Rudy? That is correct. Thank you so much for staying tuned. So, Captain, I have to ask you. You know, there's always aspiring pilots listening to the podcast. Maybe they want to be a 747 pilot when they grow up or just a few years out. I mean, obviously, we know what's going on with the 747. There's not much years left. Right. I think Atlas has the last three coming off the assembly line. I saw. Uh, yeah. I think the last tail number will be November 863. So if you see that one flying around, that's the last one. I mean, what's what's the future like for a 747 pilot in well, the I U.S.? Well, I think there's still going to be a need for them. Yeah. Although a lot of carriers, a cargo carrier, going towards the 777. Right. Um, I think Atlas as well. But I think there's still going to be a need for this 74. Um, just like you know, the classic was around more than you know twenty plus years. Right, you know, people are still flying them. So uh, this last one that comes off semi line this year, or maybe early next year, uh, it'll, it'll still be here. I would I was, think. I was going to say because we caught one of the, uh, one of the newer ones. I think mm. it was only four months old. Okay, with mm-hmm. you guys taking off yeah. on the south side. So that's going to fly at least for another thirty thirty five years. Oh so. yes, and then uh, I, I would think uh, once Atlas, if they're done using these aircraft, they usually go to. Carriers maybe down South America right. that wants to uh, get yeah. a good deal on an airplane, but um, yeah, for uh, you were asking about. Uh, I mean, if, if you're you know if you're want to become a pilot, yeah. a seven forty seven pilot, just like you were back right. when you were a kid. I mean, is yeah, there's, there's still hope for you? There's right? two ways to go. Obviously, you know, the civilian side and then the military. Right. But uh, once you get um, necessary hours, the commercial uh, commercial um, ATP airline transport certificate, then the ob- idea is you want to um, try to get on with a carrier that's operating those seven fours. And like hmm. like with me, I, that's all I was focused on, just hmm. carriers that operated the seven four seven. But um, yeah, I think um, you know, once you get enough uh, jet time, then hmm. like with me, uh, the company when they hired me, they they. They liked the idea that I had over 2,500 hours of uh, PIC jet time. Right. So um, with the idea that, you know, once I got on as an FO on the 747, then I'd upgrade to captain like, okay. within a couple of years. But, um, yeah, that it's typically the same route that you want to go to just get on with any flying, any corporate job or airline job. Right. And then once you've gotten that commercial certificate with some hours under your belt, then you can pretty much choose where you want to, you know, go fly like seven. Four seven triple seven. It, it really right. depends on the company that you're applying to if they're operating those type of aircraft. So, Captain, have you ever thought about maybe switching to another type of aircraft? I thought about it. Um, I'm seat locked in the seven four for uh, three years when it, when I first switched over to the aircraft, but uh, now I could go to the triple seven. Okay. But um, I have three years left where I have to retire. So um, I thought about doing that, and but it's you know what's driving the decision. Is uh, the the type of flying? Where where do they yeah. fly to? Right. Oh yes. Yeah, they don't go as many places as a seven four. And you know what else? The seven four, you have the opportunity to make extra money if you want to work uh, on your days off, open okay. time. Okay. And I don't think those uh, opportunities are there on the triple uh, seven as they are on the seven four seven. Would you so say there's factor that in? Yeah. Would you say there's a seven forty seven pilot shortage? Is that why or? Well, there's a shortage uh, overall. Uh, Pilots in our company, uh, I, I think when they start these new class dates, they the, the priority is seven four. Okay. And then because uh, they have classes for seven six seven seven four seven, but I th- I think um, on the management side they would obviously uh, know more about it. But uh, just from flying with guys, they they're trying to fill seven four seven classes first before they fill the seven thirty sevens and the seven sixty sevens. Yeah. <laughs> And you got, I mean, you've told me this before, and I've tried to explain this to some people on mm-hmm. our viewers that are watching. That top deck on the 747, you don't have cargo up there. I mean, you right. said that you could 
basically put a bowling alley up there. I mean, it's just a, it's empty space, basically, right? Well, the uh, the LCA or the um, Boeing converted freighters, BCFs, yeah. we have three of those, I believe. And uh, yeah, they're real roomy up there. Yeah. You can play basketball, not bowling. Basketball, okay. <laughs> Get it right, Kevin. Okay, basketball. basketball. No bowling. Okay, no bowling. Gotcha. <laughs> but um. Yeah, there's a lot of room up there. I actually, I'll, when we're done here, I'll, I have some videos I was going to uh, send to you, so uh, I'll transfer those over for you. But, um, yeah, they, there's plenty of room. There's business class seats up there. It oh. could be as many as eight. Oh. And uh, you've got a galley. And then we also have uh, bunk rooms for, uh, for sleeping quarters. Gotcha. But no Wi-Fi, right? No Wi-Fi, but I believe they... Uh, I think they're, hard, they're wiring the airplanes for satellite uh, oh, okay. internet and... Uh, but I'm not sure if we're getting it anytime soon. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of, you said there's bunks up there. Can you talk oh. a little bit about crew rest, especially with long-haul flights? What does oh, that yeah, look like? Sure. Typically, uh, any flight that's over eight hours, uh, we'll add a third crew member. So there'll be three of us total, you know, because the 7-4 only requires two pilots now, not like the old days. And uh, after uh, any flight over 12 hours, then we have a f- uh, four crew members. So oh, we okay. add additional, we have two Typically, they try to do uh, two captains, two FOs, but normally it's just one captain and three FOs. So on a trip out of here to L.A. to Incheon or Tokyo, you know, you're roughly looking at almost 12-hour flight. Mm-hmm. So we'll have four of us on there. Wow. Um, but sometimes they might have, like, on a flight that's only five hours, three pilots. And it, that usually has to do with flight and duty rules. Like, if you've flown so many hours in the last seven days, mm-hmm. then they might add a third guy. I notice when I go up to Anchorage today, yeah. uh, there's three of us uh, operating the flight up. So there must be uh, somebody with a duty, flight and duty time issue where they got to add a third crew member on, on board. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So you're, you're after today's podcast, you're mm-hmm. flying up to Anchorage. Can you kind of walk us through day to day? So sure. after this podcast, eventually you're going to head over to the south side of LAX. Then what happens? Oh, I'm on a 12-day day. Day trip. 12-day trip. Yes. Okay. So uh, I'll head up to Alaska. And, uh, and then tomorrow, Sunday, I'll uh, have t- Sunday afternoon to fly to Chicago. Okay. Six-hour flight. And then uh, Tuesday, they have me deadheading back here to uh, LAX, or I mean Monday, the next day, Monday to LAX to operate a trip Tuesday up to uh, Travis for a military charter. Do you ever get jet lag? <laughs> yes, talk about jet <laughs> All lag. All the time. <laughs> All the, you really do. You do. Well, I, I, uh, I just sleep when I'm tired. Yeah. And the same thing I eat when I'm hungry. Right. And... Some guys try to, oh, I got to try to stay up because, you know. I'm, yep. And I, I, I find myself doing that a little bit sometimes. Like when I came back from Santiago the other night, I was like, no, I'll take the last break because I'm on California time. And as soon as I get in, I'm going to get on a flight, you know, back home. Right. So uh, I kind of wanted to still be on that body, my body clock on the uh, West Coast time But zone. after all these years, you still get jet lag? I, you know, I don't, I, I adapt really well. I, uh, I'm. Yeah, I, when I get back off these trips, I'm I'm, I'm good to go. Like that next day, you know. Wow, <laughs> I don't lay around my living room all afternoon, you know. Trying to You're very fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> now earlier you used the word deadhead. Can you mm. explain what that means for maybe some of our listeners oh, who sure. might not know what deadhead means? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not operating the trip back to LAX, so I'm a passenger, but oh. I'm on duty oh. as a crew member for Atlas, and. They're just repositioning me to L.A. to operate another trip. So they uh, they deadhead us on commercial flights or sometimes on Atlas flights. So yeah. you're you're mm-hmm. a passenger on this flight coming back to LAX. Are you wearing right. your, your uniform? Uh, usually not. I'm just in my uh, okay. civilian clothes. Because <laughs> it's interesting. Sometimes I'll see, you know, pilots in the cabin and passengers are like, what are you, aren't you supposed to be flying the plane? <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's funny. I actually I finished a trip and I was I was actually sitting in the cockpit and it was on a United flight which has the same uniforms as us. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Captain wanted to come out and use the restroom, but because I was blocking the door, you know, I had to go out first. And well, the FO was already out. You know, he, he used oh. the restroom first, <laughs> yeah. and so I, I go out and then. One of the passengers in first class sees, you know, two pilots standing in the Uh-oh. galley like, well, like, who's flying the airplane? Who's flying? Yeah. <laughs> she was like, she was relieved when she, you know, realized the, you know, there was three of us up there, not just two. <laughs> so uh, when you guys are all in the, the 747 together, who's making the coffee? Who's who's getting the meals? Who's doing all oh, that yeah. other stuff? Um, 
Well, I have a shirt. It says, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, when your dad had in are you the one making the coffee? <laughs> well, it's usually um, uh, whoever, uh, one of the FOs, uh, you know, third or fourth guy. Okay. Um, whoever gets up there first and, and does that uh, security check there in the back where the galley is and okay. the bunks. And, and uh, they'll usually just volunteer. Like, hey, I'm going to make some coffee if anybody wants any. Because uh, the other two guys that are operating... Uh-huh. They're usually getting everything all set up up front. So the other two guys, one guy does a walk around, and uh, and then if there's if it's just three of you, then uh-huh. uh, the guy that's doing a walk around will usually come up and do the uh, coffee and check the galley to make sure the uh, catering's on board. And asking, uh, would you like the the fish or the chicken today? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's all they do. Like, oh, you want some coffee? And it's funny, I'm not a coffee drinker, so oh, I was like, no. oh no, you're not a coffee drinker. Yeah, I can't afford it. You know, Forty dollars a gallon at Starbucks. <laughs> You were talking about crew members doing a walk around. Uh, mm. Can you think of a walk around where something just did not look right? Because this is fresh on my mind because recently on one of our shows, we okay. heard of a 747 having a massive uh, hydraulic mm. fluid uh, leak. Um, so can you think of anything crazy like that? Well, I haven't experienced any of that. But, um, yeah, that walk around is one of the uh, redundancies, I guess you could say, to make sure the airplane's safe. Um but I've, I've seen uh, where a plane came in and had a bird strike. Oh. And they, the other crew didn't catch it. Uh-oh. And uh, hit the radar dome. Oh, it wow. did damage to the nose of the airplane. Wow. Um, but, yeah, um, hydraulic leaks, that's what we're looking for. Anything unusual, you know, drips and uh, things missing, tire conditions. But uh, we also have uh, mechanics that are doing the same thing. Okay. Right. But it, oh, to, overall, you know, we're responsible for... Uh, make sure the aircraft's uh, safe for flying. Uh, on one of our broadcasts, uh, you had two Atlas Air 747s coming in on the south side, and you were in the plane, the second one in, and I believe, was it both went around, or you went around, or you, the one, in, anyway, I wanted to ask you, because we're always like, oh, she's going around, she's going around, we make such a big deal out of it on the broadcast but you as a 747 pilot I'm sure it's no big whoop, it's no big deal right? No, but it doesn't happen too often so um, some guys are caught off guard Yeah. and so if it looks like we might be going around like I'll always brief the go around procedure uh-huh. just so it's fresh and right. okay, remember if we do go around you know, nothing to get excited about you know? So it doesn't happen too often <laughs> Right, Yeah. Um, but um yeah, it's a very easy maneuver, you know, it's just you get these buttons on the throttles and the airplane just starts gradually adding power and you get a positive rate, gear comes up. And, right. But um, but that day, uh, we were the first airplane and the okay. plane behind us went around and then right. I talked to the crew later on. You know, you had great video. I, I went back and looked at your videos uh-huh. and I timed it. You know, if we're doing 180 knots, that's three miles a minute. And we're usually three miles in trail of each other. They uh-huh. were one minute and 18 seconds behind us. So that meant they were more than three miles in trail. Mm. Mm. Yeah, when we crossed uh, Sepulveda over there. Right. So, uh, so they were, and then I called the, the the FO on that trip, and he said, "Oh no, we we were wondering too. Why why is this guy telling us to go around?" Right. I, I said, "In a situation like that, I would never answer the controller because then the controller, when he goes to call you the second time, you're like, oh wait a second, at, at, the first plane's already clear of the runway. Yeah, yeah, disregard. Go right. ahead and land." Right. You know? <laughs> But um, but you you went mm-hmm. you went long as we like to call it. Oh, yeah. You went all the way to Lima. You were making right. your left hand turn onto Lima, and she was just about to land, right? Well, yeah. Then we were already on Alpha. Too. We turned oh. Lima, then Alpha, oh, and then I saw them in front of us, <laughs> and I had enough time to get my camera out and I start videoing them. Ah, while we're, so, <laughs> and that's why I was like, why are they making us go around? So yeah, those guys go around. And, but it was funny that crew was in a hurry to get there to LA that day because they were scheduled out like 20, 30 minutes ahead of us. Right. But up in Anchorage, the company wanted us out first to free up a parking spot of a Dash 8 that was blocking a taxiway for uh, for quite a while. Interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of going long, mm-hmm. the air traffic controller says turn on Alpha 8s. Is there any way you can <laughs> say, no, we would like to go to Lima? Right. <laughs> well, the, the, uh, the FARs uh, explain. Uh, tell you to exit the first available taxiway so it's all based on you know speed and how you know which is all based on how heavy you are right our company we have standard operating procedure where they prefer you to operate at idle thrust and minimum brake wear so the company actually would prefer you to turn at lima 
if the runway is available. Oh. It's not. Yeah. So, um, but it's all has to do with um, the aircraft uh, operating it safely and efficiently. Okay. But prior to touchdown, mm-hmm. it's not like you can check in with ATC and say we would like Lima or request it. Um, well, sometimes if they if they do, I've had that happen where they say, "Can you make you know, a certain turnoff?" Mm-hmm. Well, I know our performance tells me how much runway we're going to use up. Okay. And but you can reselect the brake setting, uh-huh. but again, see that's more brake wear and tear. You're heating them up. So, um, but I, I can I can. I know exactly how much runway we're going to use up based on the performance. So, uh, but some guys, you know, they, they want to make an earlier turn so they'll get more reverse thrust or more heavy braking. And, right. But um, but our Atlas R procedure is just uh, ideally to use uh, idle thrust and minimum brakes. All right, y- y- y'all hearing that? <laughs> All you other seven forty seven pilots with Atlas, you go to Lima, go yes. to Lima, please, especially on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, it's nice too when you go long. Then you guys give a yes. uh, donation, make a wish. Exactly. Yes, we do. Yes. It's nice. Yeah. Go long, go and long, we, and we get a great <laughs> view of the airplane yes. right in front of our cameras. That's the best part. So, Captain, would you? Are you? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you even care about plane spotting? Do you? Uh, do you look at the seven forty seven and go, "I got to get a photo of that. I got to get a uh, photo, you know, video." I mean, are you just? You're more about a pilot. You're not really. You're not a plane spotter. I, there's some pilots that I've met are truly plane spotters. Would are you a plane spotter? Or are you just kind of? Well, I'm just a pilot. I, I like. Uh, I- you know, going out to the airport and watching the planes, like with my daughter. Okay. And because when I was a kid, I always loved going out and watch. And I still get yeah. a kick out of going out and watching the planes. And, gotcha. But um, I'll uh, I'll watch your stream and man, you do so great video. Oh, I got a snapshot of that. <laughs> I got got yeah. some there in uh, Phoenix the other night with the thunderstorms. But, oh, uh, yes. oh yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like wow, that's a really good shot. I think that'll look good on my uh, screensaver. Oh yes. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I still enjoy going out and you know at the airport and just for something to do during the day. And, and I mean, besides the seven forty seven that you fly, is there any other aircraft that you you just look at it and go, "Oh yeah, I like that." I've always liked the DC ten. Okay. Yeah, just the, that third engine up there on the tail and that nose sticking way out there. You know, yeah. It's like, <laughs> kind of like the old vintage uh, airline days. You know, yes. Reminds me. Earlier, um, I asked you if there are certain places you like to go, but now I'm curious to know, are, I, am, I would imagine that there are certain airports with approaches that you just really like to fly versus uh, maybe airports where the approach might be difficult or could you comment on yes. those two different, uh, you know, what's your favorite airport to fly into and what's your least favorite airport to fly into? Sure. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, in South America, which you know, I haven't been down there in until uh, last week, but uh, Quito, Ecuador. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. They filmed yeah. that movie Proof of Life there, oh, actually. Yes. <laughs> Pro, and uh, that's pretty flying in there. I just, I like flying in there. Because it's challenging because of the step downs and right. the turnarounds and the airports in the valley. They, they built a new airport there, but when I was going in there, it was the old airport. Oh, okay. So it was challenging getting in and challenging getting out. You want to make sure you're reading your charts right. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Because you go in there at nighttime. I mean, you're I think, if I remember correctly, you're like six miles from the airport, and you're like less than a thousand feet above a mountain. Oh my goodness! Out there on final. <laughs> wow. But um, but it's really pretty flying in there with the mountain, especially in the early morning when you got the fog rolling in between the valleys, and and uh, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think of an airport which I don't prefer to, fl- you know, that's uh, maybe a little challenging or, uh, but um. In the old days, going into JFK, we sometimes do the Carnarsie arrival where you're in a constant bank turn. I kind of enjoyed that. Oh. <laughs> but that was, guys, when they knew they were going there and they were using your runway, one, three left's in use, you know, because we, we practice it in the sim now at Atlas. Okay. But, mm-hmm. um, but uh, especially if there's a crosswind, it makes it even more challenging. Oh, boy. Crosswind from the right, but it's a constant turn and you're following a highway right to the runway. Oh, wow. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know if some of your plane spotters are probably familiar with that oh, I'm one. Sure I are, haven't but. heard of that, but that's yeah. I'm going to look into that. They're landing to south. There's two long runways that run northwest, southeast, uh-huh. and it's the north-southeast runway, one three left. Okay. And uh, but it's only when the winds uh, are strong enough to where they need to use that runway. Well, you're, you just mentioned crosswind landing. Have mm-hmm. you ever had to use the? They call it the crab step maneuver, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. The, uh, um, we just when I came back. Um, for training here in July, that's one of the uh, training events we did is a crosswind uh, landing. 
And uh, the instructor, you know, he started off with 10 knots, 20 knots. Oh, 30 boy. knots is about the limitation <laughs> yeah. for the airplane. And while well, it's just demonstrated, it's not really a limitation. But um, let's try 40 knots. Oh, here we go. Oh, SAS Scandinavian A350. Coming in from Copenhagen. What do you think of that A350? Oh, I flew. Uh, that's a nice airplane. Yeah? Yeah. I flew. Where did I go on that airplane? Uh, Delta's operating those. Yes. Yeah, yes. I think I, I was on Delta. Yeah. Yeah, nice airplane. Yeah. I think that's replaced uh, competing with the, uh, is it the 777 or? Uh, that the, is. For the long Yes. Yeah. And I was, yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, the A350, they're going to make that into a cargo version. And you know what my buddy at Delta told me? That airplane is the only one right now that's set up where they can fly that from the ground. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. There's some kind of software or something uh-huh. where they can dispatch can get into the airplane and oh and ch- make changes in there that if the pilots don't do it <laughs> is that something that would, would well, scare you, you as a pilot well, that you, it could be overridden you know there's this big pilot shortage right so how do you address that problem well you hire you know more pilots go to school or you just increase the automation through maybe artificial <laughs> intelligence and right. you know increase the technology yes. <laughs> it's either one or two you know increase the pilots or increase the technology so you don't need as many pilots i mean would know? something like that be more for security you know let's say uh something goes bad and maybe the captain and the co-pilot oh. you know all of a sudden you know, get sick on the plane, uh, you, you know. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I think that's what he was saying. They, yeah. you know, like if they weren't answering, right. you know, dispatch or something, they right. could go in there. And uh, I didn't know the whole, but the whole aspect of it, but, uh, but he was saying it's set up to where uh, it's the first airplane that can get that first step where they can hmm. control things from the ground. <laughs> recently, we've heard of uh, flights where both pilots are asleep. And they're not responding or, like you mentioned, maybe there's a medical emergency. It makes me think of, like, at the grocery store, nowadays we see those self-checkouts. Are we going to start seeing that with planes where it's pilotless and it's all automated? Right. Or or instead of having, like, you know, when we go to Korea, instead of having four pilots, now they'll just do two pilots and, you know, one guy will just kind of be sitting there observing in case something, like you said, Kevin, something goes wrong and and, uh, where the other guy will just come up and... uh, but I heard a rumor that it was going to be a pilot and a dog. A dog? Yeah. A pilot and a dog? Yeah, and the dog's there to uh, make sure the pilot doesn't touch anything. <laughs> and the pilot's there to feed the dog. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were telling us the truth. I'm like, yeah, could have had me fooled there. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, I mean, what is the future of aviation and, and certainly with the cargo business? It seems to be booming. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, you read these magazines and it's yeah, it seems like there's so much growth, especially in the cargo industry now yeah. with Amazon and all these players, uh, Alibaba. I, I think uh, Atlas is doing these South America flights for Alibaba. Oh wow! I think that's the one that comes through L.A. and oh wow! I don't know okay. if it's the Guadalajara, or, but it's like said, it's an Alibaba contract. Wow! Coming out of China. Yeah. Wow. wow. I mean. But, I would assume, you know, back to the question, if you want to be a pilot, certainly a cargo pilot, seems like the future is bright. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's always been, uh, when my buddies were being laid off, it, you know, I still always had a job. And and um, and the money, uh, cargo pilots, I mean, I think FedEx, UPS, I think they're the highest paid pilots, I think. Wow. And, uh, we've had quite a few that left there to the younger guys you know. but i just flew with a guy he turned down a class at fedex because uh, he says hey the money's not much different now with our new new contract mm-hmm. and uh but he was the other aspect is you know not just the money but the lifestyle and you know he lives here in la and he says he's gonna be home more often with atlas right and uh, if he was to go to another airline it'd be hard for him to get uh, layovers back at base so can you just describe to us, mm. and I'm talking about describing just the, the feeling and the sensation of flying the queen, the queen of the skies, 747. What I mean, what is that like? <laughs> Sounds like it's a piece of cake from well, what you said earlier. It, it is. It's, uh, I mean, it's a very easy airplane to fly. Um, but, yeah, all that mass, it, it does, you know, uh, require some... It changes what you're used to flying back in when I was flying the little you know Lear jets around. Right. But um, but other than that, it's it's just like any other jet. Um, 
Just some more room. <laughs> <laughs> when you're, you know, taxing down the runway, you know, and there's maybe a little 737 oh. or 767, and here you are uh, rising above in the queen. I mean, that has to make it feel good. Well, it does. It's it's funny, yeah. When you're when you're taxing around airports and and uh, you're sitting behind a you know 737 and say, man, those models are getting bigger and bigger every year. <laughs> yes. <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I was like, hey, just make sure you don't run over that guy there in front of you. I <laughs> oh, know, boy. I see his little, uh, you know, commuter airline. Yeah. You know? it's like <laughs> but I remember the first time, uh, you know, being uh, taxied when I was flying the Learjet. And you know, I taxied up behind a 7-4. Yeah. Wow. Like it's huge. <laughs> yep. Well, I, I mean, it's the other dream. way around. <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say, you know, it's a dream come true for many people mm. to fly a 747. I yeah, mean, I when you when you come up and you say, "I'm a captain," I'm a 747 captain. People are just like, well, all of a sudden, I'm not <laughs> worthy. Down. I'm not worthy. I mean, do you get that? Do you get that feeling? I I do. I I kind of when people ask me what I do, I think I might have told you this before. I was, you know, I tell people, oh, I just drive an 18 wheeler. Yeah, right. if I got a good buddy who drives it, we got the same stories. It's like, it's. I go, Brian. I go, we're both doing the same thing. You got the same stories. I was supposed to go here. They changed my schedule. And, and I, go, I just go a little bit faster, you know. But we have the same rules, basically, and the same lifestyle, you know, different places. You know, he's like, yeah, but, you know, you get the end of your trip, you get a nice hotel. I'm in the back of my <laughs> truck, you know. It's like <laughs> but I'm sure some of our viewers are probably thinking because, you know, they've flown as well. I know there's a lot of fear of turbulence and maybe just the, the pressure of being literally the pressure from the cabin. I mean, is there any part of it that worries you, makes you nervous? I mean, how do you deal with turbulence? I guess that's a question I could ask. Yeah, I think it's more, you know, the passengers, uh, you know, they're when you start getting into bumps and, but uh, yeah, the turbulence part of it's, it's not, uh, it's not really concerned to me unless uh, I'm eating my uh, dinner and drinking my... <laughs> Drinking my uh, soft drinks, <laughs> but uh, um, I mean, I guess what Rudy's trying to ask is, you know, maybe there's a, you know a, a nervous flyer that may be listening to this, and you, as a yes. captain of a seven forty seven, maybe you can make them feel a little bit more sure. comfortable about flying. Well, we have those three classifications of turbulence: uh, you know, light, um, you know, moderate, and then you know, heavy, severe turbulence. Right. But um. Uh, the aircraft, as far as safety goes, it's it can tolerate a lot of wing bending. Right. So uh, when they certify these aircrafts, uh, they they'll put, put them on a uh, on a vice, I guess, and, and they'll bend those wings up and see how far they can go with until they break off. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. What about lightning? Have you ever encountered lightning strikes on the fuselage of the airplane? Yeah, I've had uh, two of them for sure, mm. and but those were both in the uh, Learjet. Oh. And uh, what's funny is uh, they were both when the airplanes came out of the paint shop. <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, are you guys familiar with St. Elmo's Fire? That was going to be another question. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we get that static. It builds up on yes. the uh, aircraft, but it's on the windshield, and you'll have this green lightning going oh, weird. Uh, across your windshield. And in both instances where I was struck by lightning, St. Elmo's Fire was on the windshield. And uh, the one, we weren't sure if we were hit. But when we got on the ground, we saw where it entered at the nose and then went out the tail, Ooh. the burn marks on the tail. But we have these static dischargers to help right. dissipate that. Um, but the other one was, it sounded like I could, you know, right out in front of the airplane, like a, uh, you know, firecracker going off. And that must have been terrifying. Wow. I mean, what was that like yeah. as we have a heavy about to land here? It's like the Japan Airlines 777-300ER coming in from Tokyo. I mean, I would imagine that that phenomenon of St. Elmo's fire happening right in front of you. I mean, was that terrifying? Was it? Well, there were thunderstorms in the area. We were kind of climbing out between them. And, uh, and then the other one, we were descending into Denver and it was snowing, but it was also mixed with uh, rain as well. So it was kind of a mixture of both. Wow. And, uh, but, um, yeah, in both instances, we're always around precipitation. Oh, wow. And, okay. But, uh, yeah, as far as, uh, damaging the airplane it, it's electronics everything was still fine uh, we had one at atlas got hit by lightning on the ground in miami and it did mess up some of the uh, avionics uh, electronics oh, wow. on the aircraft and the plane was down for a while and of course in that situation obviously they would not let that plane fly until everything gets fixed. right yeah they had to do some 
some uh, replace some equipment, but then I guess they they were still having problems electrically. So uh, mm. yeah, it took a while to troubleshoot. But uh, that's part of the uh, when they do these walk arounds, you know, yeah. they're always. Uh, and, and you're based here at LAX. Is LAX one of the easiest airports to fly in and out of? Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah. We got the four four approaches here. And, yeah. Um, it goes pretty smooth. There's uh, nothing uh, really that challenging about it. We actually, when we were given arrival instructions, mm-hmm. uh, we have a chart that um, shows all the different altitudes of the different fixes we're going to fly over going toward the airport. Uh-huh. And they just tell you, fly that arrival. And that's basically it. You don't really have to talk to anybody. but um, And we put that in our data it's in our database so we select that arrival and it's all right there in front of us and uh, right the airplane with autopilot just fly all, I mean, all the speed and altitudes yeah and pretty much and the same just weather sit back and watch the show right <laughs> yeah it's, oh yeah as far as yeah flying i mean it's just I the mean, weather it, side of it too i mean flying all around the world you just got to think like la no big whoop oh yeah go back home yeah it's uh, yeah it's, it's funny it's always you know when i flew the learjets in here uh you know, Without even looking at the weather, yep, it's 55 degrees in the morning and right. uh, maybe a marine layer over Burbank. But, um, yeah, the weather's always good. and, and it's, yeah. yeah, it's not like... Uh, I always wondered about that because I know at certain waypoints you have to be at a certain altitude. So it's basically the autopilot kind of helping you with that, right? Right, yeah, it's uh, part of the... Yeah, the autopilot is... Uh, the flight management system is... Uh, is it's flying the uh, the arrival and it's coupled with the autopilot. Oh, wow. So... Okay. Um, and then they might modify it sometimes. They'll say descent accept, uh, you know, stop your descent at 7,000. You know, don't continue down to, because maybe there's another aircraft that's going to be passing underneath us. But, um, okay. yeah, and it's like that all over the world. They give you, it, it helps cut down on the controllers having to be talking to you constantly on the radio. It just uh, give you the arrival, and then you they know what you're going to be doing for the next 20 minutes. We've seen a couple of go-arounds here because they're flying or coming in too high. So maybe were they hand-flying it at that point? Or I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, I know we'd have to ask them. You know, it's funny, Rudy, you mentioned that. Um, the two times where I had to go around was guys were getting too high on the arrival. Yep. And when I went to my training event in July, they started talking about that. Oh. And uh, they say, hey, we're getting guys that are going around. with." And I said, man, it's funny you mention that because I, um, I see the problem, you know, like, guys are trying to slow down and go down at the same time instead of just getting on the glide path right away and now manage your speed once you're on the glide path and, and i had one where uh, we we're almost on the glide slope here into lax and and he decided to start slowing the airplane down well in doing so the airplane starts leveling off to slow down well he's getting further and further from the glide slope so uh, when he finally gets his target speed now he's really high on the glide yeah. path mm-hmm. trying and he couldn't get down in time to catch the glide slope and i was like man you were just hair away from capturing that glide slope just just get on the glide slope because i know in this airplane and some guys are shocked when i say you can be doing 240 knots 10 miles out and still be configured at a thousand feet which is what our company wants us to to be so don't worry about use the speed to get down once you're locked in and got that glide slope that box checked now all you gotta do is manage your speed with the flaps and the gear and speed brakes which brings me to another question i mean i was going to ask you so uh you're retiring in three years Yes. As a, a, the pilot. Unless they let us go to 67. Yes. I mean, do you teach Do you teach the up-and-comers? Are you going to Are you gonna stay around and maybe do something involved in, in uh, teaching these younger pilots? You know? Well, it was, it was funny. This, this last uh, training event I had, you know, the instructor said, hey, why don't you become a checker? I mean, you know, it's like, yes. Because we got, we were kicking, you know, ideas off each other, mm-hmm. some things that happen in the real world and and um, but um, I might put in for line check pilot, yeah. um, just to be out on the line. But I'm I'm kind of doing that already, helping out the new guys, just okay. giving them tips. And right. you know, I don't tell people how to fly the airplane. They, everybody has their own little techniques, but we still right. have our procedures. But um, but uh, I'll just say, oh, this is what works for me, and you know, I want to try this. If you know, if I see something that, but I have. I'm one of those guys. I just let guys do whatever they want. Yeah. I have a high tolerance. <laughs> as long as it's not jeopardizing safety, uh, I have no problem with if some guy wants to configure a lot earlier than later. But uh, and Now, I'm curious, when you do retire, what are your plans? Are you going to see more of the world? Yes. 
I'm going to become a uh, YouTuber plane spotter. All oh, right. Up on the uh, H Hotel. No. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> your territory. Uh-oh. 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 He's coming for me. <laughs> no. No, I think he wants to join your team. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I. It's funny. I, I'm not sure what I, I... I might get back into flight instructing, but I, I have a side business right now, so I might oh, be okay. focused more on that. Um, but, um, yeah, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do, so... Um, but I'm going to do something probably related to flying. Yeah, maybe. I would say, it's got to be hard to walk away from the queen. Yeah, I'll, uh, maybe ask me that question in yeah. three years. Yeah. Oh, man, that just sounds so sad yeah. to have to leave it forever. Yeah, especially if you feel like you can still go for another 10. Right. Yeah. It's Back when I was flying the Lear, we had a TWA guy that retired at 60, and he came to fly for us part-time, and he was still flying at 72 years old. Wow. Really? years after retiring from TWA. Well, I was going to ask, if you yeah. really weren't ready to retire, could you continue, or are you pretty much forced to retire at a certain age? Well, I can fly corporate, like private jets. Okay. I have a neighbor who's flying net jets, and uh, he's he's 69 right now. And okay. So uh, he's just doing it because he enjoys it. And, until I get tired of it, it's, you know, yeah. just do it for fun. Yeah. Right. Something to get out of the house and <laughs> something <Yeah>. to do. <laughs> I guess you can always take vacations on the Lufthansa 747-8 or yes. Korean Air 740. <laughs> you can always find the queen to get on, right? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, just um, try to take my... Uh, on my days off, you know, just uh, <laughs> enjoy it, right? <laughs> wow, it'll be here before you know it. Yeah, three years ago, and uh, but I, I think I might, um, yeah, just maybe flight instructor, try to get a uh, gig flying, maybe a private jet, some wow. rich family or something. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, until then, we can see Captain JC once in a while on our live broadcast. Like, yeah, I, um, October I'll be in and out of LA on Sundays. Nice. Ooh, nice. Yes. So I'll, uh, I'll definitely stop by. And well, say that was going to lead me to my last question. Okay. If we're live on the south side at the hill okay. and you're flying out, can we expect a Sia Kevin? Ooh. You'll expect to see you, Kevin. Oh, nice. <laughs> Stuff Very to look nice. forward to. That's going to be my <laughs> trademark now. <laughs> yes. Bring it. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Talking to a true <laughs> legend here. Well, Captain uh, this is very special. Thank you so much for well, joining us today. Well, I enjoyed uh, yeah, spending time here with you guys. And, yes. Uh, we'll do it again. I'm, well, I'll come back and uh, we'll talk some more. Yeah, I would <laughs> absolutely love that. Uh, I can please. only imagine there's so many other stories we haven't even touched on today. Wow, this has been a <laughs> lot of fun. Rudy, thanks for joining me once again. Yes, thanks for having me. We'll see you guys next time on the Plane Jockeys Podcast. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Well, folks, we finally made it. That's good, because the first officer and I have talked so much, I feel like I know him better than my brother. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Plane Jockeys Podcast, a companion to Airline Videos Live. Goodbye. Find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Airline Videos, or visit AirlineVideos.com. On behalf of the entire crew, thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you again on the next Plane Jockeys podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.